And welcome to the New Age Boxing Podcast. With me, Andy White, and with me in the studio today, we have... Feed the world, let them know it's August. And now is our winter of discontent. (laughs) Richard III. Bono and Richard III. Bono. Iconic, in a way. Um... That's, I always hoped the, he was a paedophile. He probably such a smug, sanctimonious prick. <laughs> well, that makes him a paedophile. Yeah, I mean, just, just, just bring him down a peg or two. We we don't know do you know what the worst thing about paedophiles is, Keith? Oh, I don't know, mate. We've, we've dealt with a lot of them over the years. All the horrible things they do. It's the way they're so sanctimonious. <laughs> the number oh. one bad thing about pedos. <laughs> the worst thing. Um. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, and for those of you who are new to the podcast, which we've had quite a few of recently, I am with Martin Theopold and Terry Chapandama. How you doing? Um, How's your weekend, Andy? You were out on a stag do. I was in Kettering, and let me tell you, Kettering, Kettering the home of stag do. is a horrible place. <laughs> like I went there, and there was just we came out of this nightclub. This nightclub was. Like, all Is night, multi-floored night. Yeah, I've been there. People getting goosenecked out of there all night, mate. Just fucking thrown out to the street, walking back in again, starting fights. Yeah, I've been bouncers there. throwing people out by gripping them around the throat. Just people they came outside afterwards. People sitting on the streets. If you're from Kettering, look, I, I apologise. <laughs> but it's I apologise that your town's so shit. <laughs> <laughs> it is horrible. Um, <laughs> But yeah, no, it was it was all right. It was a it was a fun weekend, and I am ruined. What about yours? Uh, I'm fucked. Well, I was at the athletics on Friday. It's good. Uh, good to see clean athletes for a change, eh? Clean athletes—they all go an awful lot slower than they did four years ago. It's like I don't know. Maybe there's a lot of wind in that London stadium that wasn't there during. Did the ECDS try to tell us? Oh, London's just a slow track. And I was like, no, 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 no. I think I think he ran here a few years ago. <laughs> That's the same track. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, and then I was out on the piss last night. So I'm struggling. Struggling. Tell boy. Tidying up. Really boring, unglamorous, trying to clear shit out of my flat. So, you're fresh-faced and you can carry us, yeah? Like every week. <laughs> <laughs> Not last week. We'll come on to that. We had a lot of feedback from that. A lot of people that have enjoyed it. I only listened to it yesterday, actually, to be honest. Uh, I was like, I need to hear this. So... Because you know, I, I obviously I didn't get to to really interrogate Mr. Goodwin like I wanted to. <laughs> We're getting back. I don't know if I want to now. After hearing the interview, I'm like, no, nah, no. Nah. There's, nothing, there's nothing he can say that I need to hear anymore. Uh, I think we've had some really good feedback. I know Steve listens as well. So It's a good thing. Thank you again for... Uh... It's, a, it's, it's good because at least it gives us something to, to, to go after today. Okay. I, I, there sounded like there should be a butt on the end of it. No, there's no, but there's something to go after. No, no, no. Honestly, I, because I, I listened to it yesterday, so it's all fresh in my mind. And I said, 
there are moments where I thought he's talking out of his ass. No, but he's a promoter. He's supposed to. But there were I'm not moments. A manager. There were promoter manager. Sorry. <laughs> but there were moments of genuine humanity there where you're like, I really like this guy because yeah. he's down to earth. He's honest. But there were some things there where I was like, come on, man, really? Mm, come on, Steve. You know, you just, you always, if he was next to you, you, just grab his cheek and go, come on, Steve, really? Really? <laughs> come on. I'm looking forward to the uh, the Chap and Dharma Goodwin podcast that, <laughs> that, will, that will come across. There in isn't. There, in there, the I, I don't know. I just have one simple question of, you know, is 35 quid a sustainable price point for small hall shows anymore? Oh, the war has begun. Oh man, <laughs> we're turning this into something. <laughs> I'm just I've already got Dave Caldwell on my case. Yeah. Between you and Terry, there's a there's a whole bunch of people that you put you know what? By the end of the year, I expect John Denon to do a cover piece on the boxing news. Is this the most hated man in boxing? <laughs> and it would just be me, and it won't even be a flattering picture. <laughs> the only counter argument would be Martin Theobald, if I'm honest. The amount of people. Oh no! But, but no, no! But he, he was. Yeah, well, but I can't offend a lot of people because I'm blocked by them. Yeah. So and he was well behaved last week. I was. You were. Towed the party line. I like that. That's all right. <laughs> you I really like say he's a good man. Shouts out to Matt Chander. Love you, mate. <laughs> okay, let's um, start chatting about this week's action. Which is nothing. So we're Perfect. talking Done. about. <laughs> Go home. <laughs> we have a zillion billion questions. Um, but Shouts f- out to Kurt Garvey, the most feared man in London boxing. Um, Danny Watley asks, I expect you will cover this, but do you think they are setting up uh, Mac versus Paulie oh. with all this nonsense? This is this is Paulie Malignaggi and McGregor, and this is this is reference the um, McGregor apparently flawed. Paul Imagine in train inspiring and Paul Imagine said no it was a pushover and I, I don't like using this word on it because my old man listens to this but Paul Imagine is a cunt <laughs> like plain and simple he's a whinging little bitch but okay he so Malinaji did or didn't get dropped by McGregor and Dana White released some footage but I don't care I genuinely don't care like I can go and watch footage of Sam Eggington dropping Paulie Malinaji at the O2 I don't care if Conor McGregor can do it or not. No, it literally bit, has no impact. I think the best one is still Sean Porter doing it. <laughs> but it has no impact upon right. anything at yeah, all. Yeah, because it isn't actually... So what you're saying is it's not even like uh, a status point. It's not even a... Oh, well, if you can smash Paulie Man Nagy out, yeah, it's no then he's going to make short work of Mayweather. <laughs> yeah. I mean? um, and so, I don't know. I mean, Man Nagy was off balance. Bit of a push, bit of a punch. I don't care, though. And like, Are they setting up for that? I can't believe in a million years... They're setting up for McGregor versus Malinaji because it's not worth the money. I was going to say, does There's anyone no care? money in it because Paulie Malinaji, you know, he's not going to generate huge interest because he's damaged goods. Okay, sorry. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Like, you know, I think this is one of those scenarios that is so ridiculous that you're allowed to have a tin hat moment on this one because I genuinely don't think McGregor knows what he'll do after the 26th. So I don't know if he'll go back to the UFC. He said he's going to do both. Yeah, so so I imagine that you're going to see a crossover where McGregor will say, "Why, if I can box Floyd and make it look competitive, why can't I box Austin Trout and make that look competitive?" You know, and we'd allow that. We'd say, "Okay, Austin Trout 154, fine. Why don't you do that? Build your way up to a Canelo fight." 
I can see that that line of argument. I can also see a Mayweather moving into MMA line of argument as well because you know you're not making much money of Jaylee and Love, Badu Jack, and you know the sort of reprobates he has on his roster. So why not broaden your income pool by moving into MMA? I I, I just think you wouldn't have got Mayweather round the table with Dana White and the new owners of the UFC if there wasn't a crossover opportunity on both sides. This isn't just about the 26th and the money they're going to make. It can't be. You'll have the Mayweather-McGregor money team in some way. Yeah, you know. I don't care, though. I don't. I'm bored of it. I can't I, wait for the 27th I, I, of August. I almost don't want to watch it on principle. I think I'll be on holday at that point. I just won't watch it on principle. 27th of August is all going to be about the rematch anyway. Oh. <laughs> well, he was oh. canned. Well, he was canned out of my victory. We need a rematch. Canned? AJ slept with his wife as well (laughs) but I will say one thing though Um, I think the marketing machine backfired a bit on Malinaji I genuinely think he was put in there as a plant I think they said to Paulie you will go into his camp spar him come back tell us that it could be quite threatening and I think McGregor was just like let me give him something to really talk about and just beat the shit out of him you know Tyler Goodjohn said he took a bit of a liberty I don't think it's a liberty I'm like shit you're walking into this man's camp to spar him. You've brought none of your own people to record this. What did you think was going to happen? Even in the small hall circuit, you don't walk into a gym on your own and say, I've come to spar. There's, there's always yeah, got to be someone. Coach. You bring a coach or you bring someone who can at least verify what happened or if it does get a bit tasty, can pull you out. Ronnie Moran asks, if money and schedules, etc. were a non-issue, if you were the World Boxing Super Series in the UK, which network would you choose? Uh, BT, um, uh, Box Nation, Sky, ITV, Channel 5, or other? The first thing that comes to my mind is, and I'd go with similar to what, um, a similar question we asked of Steve Goodwin last week, BBC. Yeah, if you could pick a If I could literally pick any pick platform. The only thing I would say, like, if you could put anywhere... Because he says if money and schedules were a non-issue, well, what fantasy world is this? Because it will, it will always be an issue. You know, as a fan, you like to watch a quality product. And Sky, for all their flaws, they put together a quality product. They make it look good. Always have done. Um, if you could take the production values of a Sky and put it on the BBC so everyone can watch it for free, I'd be all over that. But there's a follow-up question to this as well. Yeah, and before we get on to that, I just want your opinion, Terry. Favour Sky because that's the only way you can get rid of Richie Woodall. I think he, I think he'll worm <laughs> his way into, he'll worm his way into any other channel, which is absolutely painful. But I'd like it to be ITV. But I think the biggest barrier to ITV growing in terms of boxing is probably Richard Poxon. So you'd have to deal with Richard Poxon, and if you listen to most people in boxing, no one quite likes dealing with Richard Poxon. I don't know why. There's a shitload of rumours about the man, but it would be a concern. Um, I think, you know, you imagine the Sowlands would know what they were dealing with, so I'd imagine they'll swerve Poxon and you're probably looking at the BBC or why wouldn't you just go on Dave? Well, any, I mean, any free-to-air would be the ideal, wouldn't it, I suppose? Um so the, sec- the follow-up question was from Quiet Talking. And he asks, and add to this, what UK network do you think will pick it up? 
I don't know. From what I understand, the hindrance over sorting it out at the moment is not necessarily the number of dates, because I know they initially said they want to sell everything off as a whole package to so the cruiserweight and the super middleweights, which is quite a daunting thing because you've got, what is it, 16 dates to fill in a calendar, uh, which Sky aren't just going to drop a whole load of their other product for it. But from what I've heard, the um, the hindrance to it is the cost and the Sourlands and whoever it is, the, the company that are backing it, um, are asking for millions, apparently, like millions and millions. It's just not worth that much. And, like, you must have to, if you're going to pay millions for it, you're praying that George Groves, Chris Eubank happens in the second round. And, like, neither of those two pick up an injury. Because, uh, you know, realistically, Callum Smith doesn't generate that much interest. Like, Groves Eubank is the money fight out of the whole tournament, like, out of the two tournaments. So, if you're paying millions for it, you're banking on getting that fight. Uh, when is boxing going to rid itself of Tyan Booth? Why do IFL associate with him? That's from Damien Taylor. So Tyan <laughs> Booth, he came out with something, um, what was it, he tweeted in the week that uh, Billy Joe Saunders, if he fought uh, Chris Eubank now, would do to Eubank what Eubank did to Blackwell and then put like a, <laughs> a tombstone image and stuff like that. Uh, uh, just real classy. See, I was going to say, like, such classy moves. Yeah, real horrible stuff. Um, I mean, this on the it's back just of... It's so offensive to so many people. This on the back of Tim Booth <laughs> laughing when he was interviewing Billy Joe Saunders not that long back about how uh, he could have outrun the police when he got done for drink driving. He's like, I should have just got out and run and uh, just made real light mm. mockery of, of drink driving. I'm like, you're a fucking idiot, mate. Like, <laughs> It's a fair one, though. Police still haven't come up against fast runners. That's the one weakness the police have. <laughs> oh, no, he's really quick. <laughs> yeah. Should we go and arrest him? I don't know. We need to take a few people because he can run really fast. Yeah, so he's just, to me, he's a bit of a horrible individual to that end. I've never met him, so I can't say that for real. Like, I don't know that, but he never comes across well particularly. Um, yeah. Terry? Um, what do you say? It's... It's a tough one because once Jerome Wilson gets involved, it sort of takes a different direction. But I look, and I've, I've been on this podcast and I've probably said something equally as crass before. I think I have done and Someone will pull me up on it. Um, I think <laughs> I, I think a chance. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I, 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 I think I said something like he'll turn him into Nick Blackwell. I've, I've probably said that. Um, so I didn't say it with any malice. I didn't say it to offend anyone. I imagine Tyne just got caught up in the moment and said something stupid. The problem you have is... Nah, not boxers, mate. But the problem you have with him is that's his shtick. And you wouldn't listen to Tyne Booth you know, conducting a review of the Sunday newspapers, now would you? You want him to be there with that... that, that that's, he, I don't even know how to describe his interviewing style. No, it's, it's not off the wall. It, it's it, ludicrous. It, it's It's... It's it's Howard Sternish, isn't it? That, that, that's the way I describe it. It's Howard Sternish. You're looking for shock value, but once IFL signed up, like we want Ty and Booth to do this, you know what you're getting. Yes. So as long as you guys consume the product, this is what you're going to get. Because let's be honest, the other well, Coogan can be he can walk that line as well in terms of trying to stimulate controversy in his interviews. Uh, he also asks um, an unrelated question. Uh, or kind of related, if you associate it with Eubank and Billy Joe Saunders, 
With Charlo moving up to middleweight, how would he get on against Billy Joe Saunders or Eubank Jr.? Smash him. He definitely smashed Billy Joe Saunders. Um, the I assume he means Jamal Charlo, the one who knocked out J Rock yes. with that frightening Sorry, uppercut. That. Yeah. yeah, frightening uppercut, and that's what makes him scary. It's how quick he goes from defense to counter. You know, have you? Seen, I don't know if you guys have seen the uppercut on J Rock oh, the, Williams. The Williams fight. Yeah, yeah, where he essentially uh, he looked like he killed the guy. To be honest with you, so. And Williams is a good fighter. Yeah, he he was he was he was a guy on the rise quickly. Um, I don't think Billy Joe's got the skill set to to deal with Charlo for too long because Ch- Charlo's got a chin as well. So what do you do against Eubank Junior? I think Eubank Junior could get picked off, but he seems to have the energy and the punch output of three men. You know, <laughs> red flags. <laughs> so. He's so, an expert on Excel. <laughs> so, so you never quite know, but I don't think he's worried about that because Charlo's next in line for whoever wins between Golovkin and Canelo. Did and that would be a good fight. Um, just touching on something that kind of just got brought up then. Um, did you listen to the whole podcast with Steve Goodwin? I did. Did you hear the, about the uh, weirdy uh, Awada? Well, uh, no, it was you, Ali Adams. Yeah. Was it the Ali did, Adams did story? You, did you find that shocking? It was what, like, the Ali what? Adams? No, no. The fact that the fact that he said that his boxers hadn't been tested. What was it? Fourteen months or so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that I one. wasn't surprised because you you see these guys like like look when you use the Ali Adams example. So I, I imagine if Steve's used it, it's 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 common knowledge. Ali Adams fought Dominic Akinladi. Was it for the Southern area? Yep. Terrible fight. Do you remember he took an absolute shellacking and wouldn't fall? And I was like, you're taking punches here that. You shouldn't be taking. I know who Ali Adams is. He shouldn't have been taking those punches. He's not. He's not in that sort of condition. So for me, I was like, eh, "This doesn't make any sense to me." How you're still there for ten rounds and you're coming back into the fight after having basically your face smashed in for the first five rounds. So he's there's always been a circle around him, but there's a circle around everyone. And yes, <laughs> everyone. Yes, I get on my I get on my PED soapbox every so often, but I put the pictures up on Twitter. Look at Alistair Overeem before testing in UFC, after testing in UFC. It looks like he's aged twenty years, <laughs> right? So the problem you have is that any boxer who does anything extraordinary is tainted. You know, there were questions about Mayweather's physique, if you remember. You know, he released that video. And then they showed what he was like at the beginning of camp. And you're looking, oh, that's a 41-year-old man. And at that point, I had to leave the conversation because, you know, <laughs> I'm a big Floyd fan. I don't want to, you know, burn my feet or anything like that. But I'm glad Steve mentioned it. And you know what? Big tick in the box for mentioning that, Steve, because it's a massive problem. What do you do? If it was me, I'd allocate a chunk of my budget to saying, right, you guys are getting tested. All it will take, honestly, is how many people fought on a Goodwin card on a typical Saturday? Uh, 26? There's between 20 and 25, 26. Well, yeah. 25 wouldn't make sense, but... <laughs> 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 in, some cases, in some cases, it feels boxing. like that. <laughs> yeah. No, but look, you could do, just pick one show. Don't even announce when it is. <laughs> take take 26 blood samples, send them to a lab, 
show me the hormone profiles here. Just put my mind at rest. If Steve did that, that would be the biggest positive step for doping in boxing. And that would probably cost him a couple of grand. But people would then know, shit, this could happen at any time. Why? Because Steve probably has the finances to do that. Like, it's not like you're looking at other promoters where you know they don't have that kind of money. So that would be a good move, in my opinion. Uh, Pete Fenimar asks, uh, has the undercard of the Mayweather-McGregor fight made you more or less likely to watch it live? But before you answer that, that's now including, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Javonta Davis, uh, Badu Jack, Sean Porter, and, and then I've got... And I don't know who's the headliner. It's all right. The undercard's all right. It's got uh, Badu Jack stepping up to light heavy for Nathan Cleverly. So, like, first fight in going for world title, albeit the WBA regular. I'm all right with that. Um, I went. We went down to London just to watch uh, Javonta Davis. So, I feel disingenuous to say I won't watch it <laughs> when it's on TV. Yeah, I can't remember who he's fighting. Is it, it Roman uh, Martinez? That's it, yeah. Francisco Fonseca, according to this. So, so Martinez dropped out? I don't know. Uh, okay. Um, but, yeah, no, it's... You know, Javonta Davis is on there. I like Javonta. It's not going to be a hard fight, though, is it? I'd suspect. Mm. Um, Showcase. Oh, yeah. yeah, so. Well, the tough fight's coming up, mate. Well, I'll catch a replay of it the next day. I'm not, I'm not getting up for it, I don't think. I'll be surprised. I don't think anyone cares because there's nothing riding on this. Like, if it was literally whoever wins can shut down the UFC, or if the UFC <laughs> win, could just shut down boxing then we'd watch it, right? Because remember the wrestling match, Loser Leaves Town, or the retirement matches you used to get? Mm. And you knew the guy just had to leave. And you'd watch it, like, shit, I, I want Macho Man to leave. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So we're not watching this for the end. Loser gets executed in the ring afterwards. But it goes to show, right? Americans put together far better undercards than we do. Hearn will try and sell you on some fucking area-level fight. Oh, area-level fight. you got to buy this. Fuck's sake. Danny Watley asks, do you think Bradley Skeet deserves a title shot? Then he goes on to say, I think he's very underrated. Oh, Bradley <laughs> Sounds Skeet. Sounds like you echo those sentiments. Oh, I don't know. Like, I, okay, I get he wants to win the British title outright, um, which is cool. He's done that now by beating Day 11 in his last fight. For me, I find it very frustrating that a fighter like that talks about wanting to fight Manny Pacquiao whilst goes out to fight Day 11s. Like, there's a huge discrepancy there between the two. Now he's talking about wanting Jeff Horn. By all means, talk about going and getting Jeff Horn, going and getting Manny Pacquiao, but don't fight Shane Singleton Day 11s on the route to it. Like, that's not the way you get there. Um, so, I don't know. I don't even want to see him... I want to see him fight somebody legitimate or well away. I'd like to see him fight Kel Brook. Kel Brook's on the way down. Take on Kel Brook. I think he gets smashed to pieces. Terry? Look, for all the listeners there, let me just be brutally honest with you, right? British titles mean fuck all, okay? Area-level belts mean fuck all. English titles mean fuck all. Let me save you the time and the bullshit you're going to hear from people. The only people who care about those belts are the guys that made the sacrifices for them. And congratulations to them. I disagree. So, <laughs> so Bradley Skeet, congratulations, you've won a Lonsdale belt, but you haven't beaten anyone we're going to remember in 10 years' time. So that's a hollow victory. Now, let's just take the British belt. I'm going to come to the light heavyweight scene because it still bugs me. But... 
the British light heavyweight title has been fought for 82 times in 104 years, right? 82 times. Can look, I can go through it. Who's got it now? Frank Buglioni's got it now. Jose Burton had it before. Who was the big name who had it before that? Probably Bellew. Before that, probably Cleverly. And then you just have Dross until you get to Crawford Ashley. And Crawford Ashley wasn't much better than British level, right? Go further back, you're looking at Tom Williams in the 90s. You're looking at Tom Collins. And you're probably looking at Dennis Andrews as well in the 80s. Do you know these guys, Andy? Of course, mate. I'm yeah. well up to if, that. If, 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 if Dennis Andrews walked past you in the street, you wouldn't know who he was. I'd be like, DA, brother. <laughs> and we'd, uh, but, but, we'd have an embrace. So, so, so my point is this. The British title means nothing because it's defined by what happens after you win. It's not defined by the fact that you've won it. We love the British title because if you listen to guys like Adam Smith on Sky, they always reference fights like Gary Mason versus Lennox Lewis. But that fight was going to happen whether it was for the British title or not for the British title. That was always going to happen. It was a big fight that needed to happen. Um, so it's always by reference to what these guys went on to do afterwards. The British title, in its purest form, is this. Two guys with reasonably solid records on the way up fight each other. We call it a battle of Britain. And you're like, fantastic. Thank you. Take that knowing that one of these guys has to go in and win a world title. Not fight for one, win a world title. It legitimizes the belt that way. But it's, it's a reverse legitimization. Or it's solid champion here. Maybe he's had three or four defenses against someone who's rapidly on the rise. And it's like, well, are you going to burst the hype bubble here? They're the two fights that really make a British title belt. Because otherwise you get the situation you had with Carl Froch, where... Froch held the British super middleweight title for four years. Four years he held that title for. Do you remember who he fought? I don't. He might have fought Brian McGee. No idea. Don't remember who Carl Froch fought. But I remember Carl Froch was British champion only because Carl Froch went on to become one of the great super middleweights. So when it comes to these titles, <laughs> their little trinkets promoters sell you to come in and watch the fight. They don't fucking matter. <laughs> wow. Yeah? They don't matter because we've sat on this podcast numerous times and said you could have fights and not have any belts attached to them. In Dongo against Crawford, fight for no belt. We know who both of them are. So when the questioner says, yeah, he's a British champion, he's won this Lonzel belt, can he fight for a world? Bradley Skeet might be a Crawford Ashley, a guy who's really good at British level, will step up at European struggle, come back and hold that British title, and like Crawford Ashley, be a six-time British champion. And there's no shame in that. There's no shame, but for boxing fans who are spending money in the hope of having memorable times, they don't care. The guys who read the boxing news, the guys who, you know, involve themselves in the sport do care because it's a way of categorising where boxers are. But if you're a casual fan... The only reason you care that there's a British title is because Eddie Hearn or Frank Warren's told you. You can't, no one can tell me who won, who had the British title belts at any given point. The only credible division we've really had for the British title is the heavyweights. Joshua, Dillian White, Tyson Fury, Derek Chisora, Danny Williams has fought for it, Julius Francis David has fought Price. for it. Price fought for it as well. But 
then you look at you, you look at it and it's clusters of fights. So Price fought three times in a year just to get his Lonsdale belt against utter dross. You got Sam Sexton fighting Gary Cornish for the British title. Am I wrong in saying that's utter dross? Shite. And this is what I mean about the British title. It's only defined by what happened afterwards. So coming back to what was the question? <laughs> no, no. So coming back to the Bradley Skeet thing. We make a big stock of him being British champion, but he's shown us nothing that suggests he belongs at world level yet. And that's what you want to be doing. So, so don't focus on the British title. Focus on the route to a world title. So, you, we, you know, I know Anthony R has been getting shit for being ranked number eight in the WBO, but go back 12 months. Huey Fury was number eight in the WBO. And now he's fighting for a world title. And he didn't gerrymander his way up the ladder. It just so happened everyone fell out. You know, David lost, so he fell out the rankings. Pulev committed to the IBF. And eventually, so right, you're number one, you've got to fight for a title. Just like Parker did. Parker just got to that position because he set it out and he played the game. So just, just back to my original point. When you hear about all of these titles being fought for, they mean fuck all. Save your money, man. Just find it on box rec. Uh, a penny for your thoughts, Mr. Theobald. Oh, I can't add to that. No? Okay. <laughs> no, I, I, I have huge interest in stuff like area, English, British level titles because I'm sad. But that's what it comes <laughs> down to is because I have nothing better to pay my time with. Um, but I know what Terry means. But, the, but those those titles mean something if you're a lower level fighter. Like It's not to disrespect those titles because for some fighters, I speak to various fighters who say like winning an area level title would be winning my world title. And that's cool. Like, if that's where you realistically see that you can achieve to in the sport, then it gives you that aim and that, you know, there are a couple that I know of them one area titles that say, well, maybe I could just have one go at the English title, one run at it. So there's always that next uh, rung on the ladder that they can aim for. And so, you know, as much as they don't mean anything to Terry in that respect, they, they do mean something to the fighters. But um, it's not to say that I want to see an area level fight on a matchroom show. There's places for them. And those places should be... I think we'll more and more probably start to see British titles dropped out of the main promoter's show. So you see Steffi Ball's got two British title fights, I think, on one of his shows up in Doncaster, no TV on it. Um, and that's great for it. So I think we'll probably end up seeing that happen more and more often now. Uh, David McGinley asks... Um... Shouts out to Dave McGinley. Loyal. And probably... Right, yeah. Probably... Um... Enjoy Donegal. Completely alone, by the way, in our um, virtual VIP suite. In the virtual... Yeah, yeah. It's closed. It's closed to applications. VRB. It's just closed. He's got topless barmaids. He's got everything, man. Yeah, I mean, it might it might be a bit sad for David that they're all virtual. Never has to clean his own <laughs> penis. <laughs> <laughs> the VIP penis is clean, sir. Um, anyway, getting to his question, which was nothing about the VIP or his virtual topless barmaids. Uh, Golovkin or Canelo? I've heard that Golovkin started camp very heavy. So... This is a bit early, but let's go with it. Are they testing? I, well, I don't know. If they're Probably testing, not. if they're testing, <laughs> I can understand why Golovkin's coming heavy. Clearly, um, he's also a thirty-five, thirty-six-year-old man, so he's 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 going to come in heavy. I'm sure by the time his strength and conditioning coach has got hold of him, he will have no problems making the weight. You know, like Kelbrook never has. Any problems making the weight? Mine. 
I don't know. Like, why? You can't read too much into something now that's that's still so far away. Um, yeah, because you're basing you're kind of basing it off what you know. He might go in heavy every camp. I don't yeah. know. Um, I don't know what he's gone in out of that one, but we'll get a better idea. You know, two three weeks out from fight, it'll be interesting because remember in the Kell Brook fight, he was pretty much on weight like with a month to go. Yeah. So I'm like, well, which is the which is the Golovkin routine? Premature Inquisition, David. I'm sorry. I know you got topless barmaids, but keep yourself under control. We'll talk about this <laughs> a bit Get closer. Get back to the barmaid, to the... son. Yeah. <laughs> Get back in that VIP lounge. Okay, Riku Heikler asks, following Khan's latest episode, what next for his boxing career and do you see him winning a meaningful world title? No, I see him getting filled in by Joshua when Joshua's smashing his misses at the same time. Next. Literally I, 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 don't care. That's the problem him, with like, Khan. I've got so he could, little energy he could for fight them. for like the super unified mega title and yeah. I wouldn't give a shit. I have so little energy today. I have such a bad hangover all day. The thought of Amir Khan... It's just yeah. he's a, he's a pointless individual at the moment. But but here's the problem, and it's one of my bugbears in boxing when people say you got to wait for fights to happen. I really cared about the Khan Brook fight about two two and a half years ago. Yep, I thought that would have been the biggest grossing fight in any year that it happened. It would have been the biggest grossing fight because it was legitimate. You could have picked your stadium. Could have done anything you want. Now I don't care about that fight because the promoters and the camps let it drift on too long. And we can always go back to that, you know, that middleweight fiasco we had as well. And, you know, the gloves are off. Yeah. So so, so one of one of the points I wanted to make, I probably would have made this to Steve had I spoke to him last week, is we need to start giving the fans the fights they want. That is how boxers make more money. This whole thing of I'm going to guide you to a title as I said earlier, we don't care about titles. You give me Wadi Camacho, Carl Wheeler Myers, and go, look, these two are just going to swing for the fences. <laughs> right? No one's going to fall over. They're just going to keep swinging until, until something bad happens. Fine. I'll pay to watch that. Yeah? You give me Wadi Camacho against whoever he's fighting. He felt like a nobody. I don't know. Jose Lopez is fine. I don't next. know who he is. Well, I do, but you know what I mean. But that doesn't have anything for me. And the fans don't want to see that. The fans want to see Jose Lopez against someone in his own lane. Fight someone in your lane. I don't know who's who's in his lane, but what is a level above based no. on experience? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. We'll find out. Well, but, well, um... well, well if, if he's not, then he shouldn't be boxing. You, and we've said that before. And that's probably another question I would have had for Steve as well. You know, why would you do that? I'm going to get a lot of tweets and Facebook messages from Steve going, You're shut up. <laughs> um, could you discuss the Willie Monroe Jr. WADA testing tweet and why it hasn't been testing, uh, why hasn't the testing been enforced? Uh, so he's saying there's he does, been no... He does add a tweet for context uh, underneath. Yeah. Yeah, so Monroe's saying there's been no testing. Uh, Dominic Ingalls come out of one today, I think, saying... They're tested in their own way. Uh, I don't know what, <laughs> I don't know what that is. What the fuck is that? It. It's a cat. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Terry's never seen a cat. <laughs> it's like a lion. <laughs> I expected to turn around and see like a Nazi fucking hovering jet in my back garden. A cat. So anyway, back to the question. Um, Willie Monroe's, uh, Willie Monroe Jr.'s tweet 
Uh, I wrote this in my notes, and he tags Frank Warren and Billy Joe Saunders into it. What are you waiting on? Let's really get this Vada stuff done. Okay, so fill in the gaps for me here. I want to try and not get sued. <laughs> Good luck. When that was, you spend most of your time trying to get sued. I know, but this time I really don't because I like Woody Monroe. Caught up with him briefly when he was in London for the press conference. Really, really nice guy. Um, from a from a boxing family, I think there's like three Woody Monroes. There's one, there's definitely one called the Worm, which is awesome. <laughs> um, here's the problem: Woody Monroe trains with Nicola Adams at the snack facility SNAC. Which is run by Victor Conte, and every- <laughs> there you go. So, so when you when you, when so you're when- throwing stones out of a house that you're living in with Victor Conte, wow. Okay, and it would appear that you're making this call just as the stuff is cleared out of your system. You're like, I want to get tested. Now, here's the secondary. Problem. I want to get tested. A week next Tuesday. <laughs> but, 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 so I'm not saying Willie Monroe takes anything because I don't think. That's fair to say. I'm concerned Victor Conte is involved in boxing. Yep. I think everyone should be. He's a guy I'd like to get on the podcast. That's my mission, is to get Victor Conte on. And I want to get Mimo as well. So if we can get Victor, Mimo, and even Alex Ariza on and just go, right, guys, let's talk about all of this. But the other problem yeah, you have dramas, I'll sort it out for next week, is... <laughs> Billy Joe Saunders has moved to Sheffield. If ever you were going to suspect there was a hotbed of anything nefarious happening, you'd probably identify Sheffield as the epicenter. Is Kid Galahad's brother still knocking about? You know? In Nando's somewhere. Yeah, spiking uh, protein shakes. No, no, it's not. It was it was Nando's chicken. So oh, it's like, it? do you want it extra hot or do you want it boxer hot? <laughs> <laughs> Special juice. Hey, that's got a needle in it. <laughs> 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 yeah, we're just putting water in the chicken. So, so in essence, and and you're looking at Billy Joe in the pictures he's putting out this far out from fight date, and you're like, I haven't seen him in this shape before. I would start to say what's going on, but I'm not going to. It just strikes me as these are two guys who have benefited greatly from Vada not being involved even prior to the camps starting. Why they both keep quiet? Yeah, that would be my suggestion. My suggestion would be be grateful Vada on testing and actually be very grateful Vada on testing because they would have caught something. Okay, from Anonymous, uh, are Warren and Yard opting for safe paychecks for overlooking domestic success? Me and Terry nearly had a... Uh, we were giving away spoilers during the week. We gave you that, that free tweet cast, man. That, that was definite. That was definite. Back, back and forth. up my Thursday. That was, that was uh, necessary. Because cause everyone assumes we agree on everything. Fundamentally, you know, there's some things we don't agree on, which is cool. My, my, own, my, my take on this is the British title scene is Hearn realising he has potentially a prize asset that he needs to control and freeze Frank Warren out. So... I wouldn't be surprised if there was a representation from Eddie Hearn to the British board that said, let my guy Frank Buglioni fight my guy Callum Johnson to unify the British and the Commonwealth titles, which has it has an appeal in its own right. But Callum Johnson hasn't boxed. Well, he definitely wouldn't have boxed in over a year by the time he fights, if I'm correct. So just focusing on that, it tells me one of two things. One, he's either expected to roll over for Frank 
or he's that confident of beating Frank that he doesn't need a tune-up. Don't know which one it is, but both are worrying because you shouldn't be able to do that to a British champion is my expectation. But if you've been inactive, I don't see how you can become mandatory. But then again, if I go back a year, I don't see how Frank Buglioni became mandatory having never fought a British fighter at 175. And the last British fighter he'd fought was Lee Markham, who was a blown-up middleweight. But promoters do a wonderful job, as do managers. So I understand that this isn't about the meritocracy. There is no merit to these rankings. Frank Warren looks at it, realises that, and goes, well, fuck this. Let Hearn have the belt. And that's what Hearn will do. He will keep that belt in-house until Jake Ball is ready for it. Jake Ball will fight for it. If he gets it, great, he'll hold it. And then Josh Boatsy will come through and he'll fight for it if he gets it great. And Hearn knows as long as he keeps that in his stable, he's fine. And everyone else is just a, a bystander in that because let's look at where Eddie Hearn's putting his money. He's putting his money pretty much in Joshua Boatsy. And if it turns out Boatsy's not the guy we think he is, which I think is highly unlikely, I think he's the truth. I think he's a real deal. And he's he's the Best 81 kilo fighter we've produced in our amateur system. And when he actually asks, would Boatsy be better suited to super middleweight? Uh, he'd lose a lot in trying to make that weight. So 175 is good for him. He can take the shots and he's stronger than anyone else at 175. So it's, it's understandable. With more experience and more training, he'll just get better at the weight. But in essence, Anthony Yard has realised he's the odd man out in this and gone, well, sod this. I'll fight this Canadian guy. I'm 12-0. He's 12-0. Normally, I'd be cynical. Like, if this was a guy 12-0 from Georgia, I wouldn't you. be. <laughs> but, but to be honest, that, that whole Montreal-Quebec scene in Canada has produced some pretty tough guys, right? We, we're not going to dispute Pascal's a pretty tough warrior. We're not going to dispute Butte. These guys come through a really tough school in that part of Canada. So I'm prepared to give him a chance. If it turns out that he's a, if he turns out he's a tomato can, you know, I'll come on here and I tell you what I think. But I don't think Yard's career is hurt by not fighting Frank Buglioni because I don't think Frank has anything left. I was surprised when I heard Steve Goodwin say, after he wins the Lonsdale Belt, he'll fight for a world title, and I said, but he's not ranked anywhere. So on what basis he's does he? By the WBA. What what number? Fourteen. And, and number 14 warrants a title shot against who exactly? Number 13. <laughs> <laughs> who doesn't have a belt. So so it's this whole thing in boxing where people, and this is more this is more dig at Hearn, where Hearn will say, ah, oh, you ducked, you know. But Hearn's the master of putting people in undeserved mandatory positions. They No one ever really fights their way up. Do you remember when Joshua was like mandatory in the WBC. And I think he'd only beaten like three people. <laughs> so so let, let's not talk about British success. It's difficult. Like when it comes to the rankings, it's, it's like we've had so many conversations about rankings are bullshit. Yeah. Like I don't, I, the, full stop in my yeah. opinion. I, and there's no, no, nobody's ever presented a case that's made me go, yeah, fair one. Because as far as I can see, it's all about politics and money. And as soon as those two things judge a supposedly... A ranking system should, by definition, be 
completely free of those two things yeah. in order to be in some sort of independent reflection of who is where in this thing. But, but, but you, you can't have that because there's no objective way of ranking boxers. No, I mean, there's no objective way of ranking uh, football I, teams. I, no, 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 but there just, is, there is. You win or you lose, right? But the IBO mm. do a very good job of it. Like, it goes under the radar, but their yeah. ranking system is based on BoxRex ranking systems, and BoxRex flawed in various ways, don't get me wrong, but instead of having, like, a panel, they just use the BoxRex rankings and say that's our top 15 at each weight. I think that's we, fair. We, we, yeah, no, no, and that... If there's a methodology we all know, and it's stuck to... We'll live with that because we know how to work the system. Yeah, yeah. and we can accept yeah. that for what it is. Yes. Like that's far better than the bloke sat in Panama with the door closed talking to other blokes yeah. and people lobbying them before, oh, yeah. during, and after. Hey, hombre, um, who you want at number five? Eh? <laughs> you want number three, my friend? Thank <laughs> you, three. Yeah, and, and so <laughs> we're horrible. We are horrible people. But but this is so so for me. Like I'm 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 of that frame that says we need to just start creating the fights the fans are calling for. Even if even if we don't believe the fans know what they're talking about, the fans know what they want. Um, he also asks, is Nathan cleverly set up for a fall so he can face Buglione? Probably. I don't I don't think he's got anything left, has he? I'm hoping he's getting well paid out of this Mayweather undercard against Badu Jack. Because like Badu Jack could do some serious damage to him. I think he could... He could hurt him. <laughs> and I don't know what Nathan Cleverley's got left in the tank now. Like that from Farah fight, you go back to that, and he took a shellacking that night. And from Farah was not that good. We've seen from Farah was not that good. Badu Jack is good. And like with that additional weight, I could see him doing some real, putting a real beating on uh, Cleverley. I don't see Cleverley coming home with his world title. Terry? Um, well, Jack's an actual 81 fighter, so he fought at 81 in the 2008 Olympics. And you imagine he had to boil down to make that. So Jack's naturally a big guy. Um, I met him in Sweden about five years ago. He's naturally a big, solid guy. He's one of these guys. Like if you've ever if you've ever put your hands on Daniel Dubois, and you realize there's you, you can't. It's impossible to squeeze them because there's no give in them. So Badu Jack's that sort of guy. Nathan Cleverly looks watery at 175. Bearing in mind he started his career as a welterweight. And he's sort of eaten his way up to even as fast cruiser away. And he and he was watery as hell then. So Jack will win that fight. I don't think Mayweather takes risks he doesn't have to. So he'll win that fight. He's got a belt, he can call someone out. What does Cleverly do afterwards? Why would you have him fight Buglioni? It's not it's not it's not there's because there's no It's not a logical fight without a title. Well, Yes, and no, neither of them is going anywhere. Give him to one of your younger lads in a year or so. I that which is what I would have suggested. Now, if Boatsy moves faster than than we expect, get, yeah, let him and Clev go at it. Yeah, that's where I see it going. Um, okay, Craig from Fight Talk asks: Looking back at Indongo versus Burns, it's incredible to see how he can land punches from such distance with his long arms. If he boxes a, a similar game plan, could he stay out of range and pick Crawford off? I don't see it personally. I think Crawford takes him apart. I think he'll do a job on him. Uh, I think Crawford is special. It's the first undisputed champ that we're going to have uh, for 10 years or so. I discussing this earlier that 
They're going to pay £100,000 each in sanctioning fees for this fight. Wow. <laughs> That's incredible. Two hundred grand is going out to the sanctioning bodies on the back of this fight. No, how, how many? I don't know. There's, there's the IBF. It's the got WBA. Fight. They haven't the got w- the IBO title. One of them said they don't want to fight for it, I think. So there's the four bullshit. main ones. Yeah. Um, <laughs> each of them taking home $50,000 for those two getting in the ring. Forget about that. Um, wow. So anyway, yeah, no, I think Crawford will take Indongo apart. Unless Indongo is, you know, what we saw against Ricky Burns was that he's good. He didn't look special. I don't think that range is going to stop Crawford. And people forget, I think when, when, when we talk about Crawford on the pound for pound list, there's an assumption that he's a slickster, that he's elusive, evasive. Crawford isn't. Crawford's a guy from Nebraska. He's he's there to fight. Yeah, you, know? you know the their football team. What's it called? They're called the Corn Huskers, aren't they? Or Dillian White would say Corn Oscars. No idea. No, oh, yeah, so, no idea. Yeah, so the University of Nebraska are known as the Corn Huskers. It's, it's, it's very agricultural. <laughs> Such a random piece state. of information to yeah. have. <laughs> real, real agricultural state, and Crawford's an right. agricultural fighter with a, with a veneer of skill. So he's not going to mind getting hit by Ndongo. What's going to happen when Ndongo gets hit by Crawford? That's the biggest question in this fight. If it turns out Ndongo has a chin of granite, then we're in for a really good fight. My instincts tell me this will be more of a Crawford postal than anything. Um, he goes on to ask, as we approach the new season, does Darren Williams' two tight fights with Jarmaine Smile show his, uh, his limitations as a fighter? Or were they vital learning fights? How far can you see him progressing and... Right now, would he beat Craig Richards? Um, both are good friends of mine. So I want to declare my position because it's going to couch a lot of what I say. Daryl fought Jermaine Smile cold. Like he, he, there were things outside of the ring that were distracting him. So it's not like he had a, a perfect camp for the first fight. There were also managerial and training issues between the first and the second fight. So he didn't have a stable camp. And he still managed to get the win. I think the first time he won comfortably. The second time, probably boxed the wrong game plan, but he still managed to dig out the win. He He's the closest thing we have currently to a Nigel Ben, whereby you know what you're going to get with him. His will's not going to break. It's about whether the other person's will breaks before his does. That's, that's all it is with Daryl. He throws too many punches for Craig at the moment. And I don't think Craig defensively would be able to cope with that kind of punch and rush approach that that Daryl has. Craig doesn't need that fight yet. You know, there are other fights Craig could be having. Even a Leon McKenzie fight down the line would be good for him. You know, just work on some stuff. I'm worried that the Sims guys aren't working on things because we're not seeing the evolution in approach. So... I want Craig to do well in life. I want Craig to do well in boxing. I want Daryl to do well in life. I want Daryl to do well in boxing. I want them to... I mean, Daryl's probably a couple of fights away from fighting Rocky Fielding for the British. That's my view. He needs to show us a little bit more and then it'll make logical sense to call for the Rocky Fielding fight. One thing thing I would take issue with is that we still have Nigel Ben. He's going to be fighting again anyway, so... (laughs) Don't need a new one. (laughs) He's still got the old one, so... Uh, I don't think he's not going to go to world level for me. I don't think that's going to happen um, with Williams. I mean, that smile fight, we know what level smile is at. We've seen him, you know, he got tested hard against Leon McKenzie. 
Um, and for all the outside of the ring stuff, okay, I get that. But like nobody's camp is ever ideal. I don't necessarily see the advantage of changing to Ricky Hatton um, as a trainer. I don't really get that at all. Um, Diet. <laughs> um, so one thing though with, with Daryl Williams, I'm excited to see how far he goes. It's not to say that I don't want him to achieve. I, I don't think he's a world level fighter, but I think he will have really good fights on the way up. And then we'll find out what limit he's at when he loses. Hopefully he'll come back again. The, the issue I have is if you add up the number of fights those two have had, amateur and pro, I don't think you get to 60. Yeah. You don't get to 60. Now, like I, I mentioned, there's a kid in GB called Mason Smith who has 100 amateur bouts. Like, whatever you want to say about the amateur system, the fact that you've been in the ring a hundred times and had to go through that process a hundred times is experience you can't buy. You can't replicate in a gym. You can't replicate, you know, doing one-legged squats. You can't replicate in sparring. You can't. So it points to a wider issue in British boxing that we're letting guys turn pro without that depth of amateur experience. And actually, paradoxically, the small hall scene has become this almost this mezzanine amateur level, if that makes sense, where you've got kids with no real background in the amateurs just turning pro and learning on the job. I don't know if I think that's the right thing because you're charging me 35 quid to watch a lad who I probably would have paid 10 quid at an Earlsfield show to watch. And that's what's probably going to harm audience engagement and participation as we look to commercialise boxing in a wider sense. I find it weird when you look at boxing, really, because like you've got amateur and you've got small hall shows, and, and they kind of, they both feed the professional system, whereas when you look at most sports, the amateur level is incorporated into the sport, and amateurs uh, move up, you know? There's a question from, I was just trying to find it, Carl Chapman, sorry, and I'm nicking your, uh, your question slots. Uh, what impact has the changes to amateur rules made regarding amateur career longevity, training, etc.? Is there less focus on fundamentals over aggression? I thought I'd throw it to you, Terry. Throw it back at you, Martin. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Um, look, so there have been some changes in Aiba. I think it's, it's worth setting the scene for, for the guys listening. There's, there's a quiet civil war raging in boxing and... Aiba see the riches the professional game makes and they go, well, we provide the majority of the raw materials for the professional game. Why wouldn't we own more of this ecosystem? So Aiba came up with a World Series of Boxing where the amateurs would box without vests and without head guards for five rounds. I think the finals, eight rounds. And, you know, essentially, you know, it's a pro fight with an amateur style. It, it it works, but it doesn't work. It's a great idea, but it doesn't work because the scoring system isn't set up to make the most of that. So then they said, right, we're going to have another layer above that called Aiba Professional Boxing. So these guys are paid professionals and they, get, they earn really good money. It's mostly Eastern Europeans and Mongolians. But it's a shitload of money you get for basically being a professional boxer and boxing on, on the Aiba circuit. And they do this because they want to own the ecosystem. The WBC are going, all right, if you want to do that, we're going to have the WBC Amateur League. Well, not league, but Amateur Division. Because they realize they want to, you know, it's easier to control your own ecosystem. So within that, you've got everyone trying to make 
their amateurs more appealing to casual fans, taking away head guards, making them more recognisable and all this sort of thing. But that's only at the elite level, at the grassroots level, at the bread and butter level. You don't have enough good coaches. And I know who the good coaches are because my first question is, who did you come up under? Because if you do, if you come up under Jimmy Tim, question. <laughs> if you meet someone and they say no one for a long time would be my media answer. <laughs> mate, you got to go Tim the Gold. <laughs> but so if someone says to me, "I spent seven years under Jimmy Tibbs," I'll be like, "All right, fantastic." Um, take Brian O'Shaughnessy, who trains Umar Sadiq and Lawrence Okoli, amongst others. He came up under Mickey May at West Ham. And th- there was a minor miracle at West Ham where those guys were winning the national championships for fun. I don't know if you caught the BBC documentary George Groves, you guys. I haven't seen it yet. Um, so they did the, you know, the Costello and Bunce podcast. Oh, okay. They had yeah. one with George Groves and they're talking about Grenfell and Dale Youth. Oh, yeah, I started listening to it. Yeah, yeah. I found that quite interesting, actually. The, George Groves talking about the, yeah, yeah, yeah. how his personal connection with that, um, with the uh, with boxing the, club that was in there. Yeah, he was, was, that's where he used to train. Hmm. So... Guys like guys like Mickey Delaney and those sorts of guys are a dying breed because you, you, you've got this this raft of new trainers who have come up and you see them on Facebook and Instagram um, and they're telling you what they're doing, but they're not teaching anyone because I go to these shows and these people are generally shit, right? They're shit. They're not well-schooled. They're not taught. Like It is literally... Want to do pad routines until you remember them. Then you need to remember to do that in the ring. There's no theory being taught. No one explains to them why we do what we do in the sport. And none of the coaches are investing in acquiring knowledge. So you end up with a really, really weak grassroots. Unlike in the US, where, and I don't know if I've said this on the podcast before, probably have done. The US has centers of excellence, pretty much. So if you look, Michigan, Clarissa Shields, James Tony. Floyd Mayweather, uh, go further back, Thomas Hearns, Gerald McClellan. Uh, shit, the Durrell brothers are from there as well. So you, you get a shitload of guys. Then if you extend it out into the Great Lakes area, you've got Ohio, Broner, uh, Gerald Tucker, who was out of that area. All those guys. So when you look at that, you've got almost like a, like a cluster of real talent. You've got the same now building in Nevada well, in Las Vegas especially, because you're getting the gyms. You've got the Salas Boxing Academy, the Mayweather gym. You've got Augie Sanchez's gym down there. So you're getting these clusters of talent congregating and you're getting the best coaches there, you know, sharing ideas, sharing knowledge, which doesn't happen here. You know, people talk about Emmanuel Stewart like he was a great trainer, but people don't realize he had guys like Bill Miller as lieutenants. And Bill Miller's the guy who gave James Tony the style that we all fell in love with. So would Emmanuel Stewart have been as great without Bill Miller? God, no. But they realise collective strength is better than no strength at all. And I think that's the problem with amateur boxing in this country. And this is why, as boxing fans, you're going to be continually fed dross. Until you guys have the courage to call out these shit trainers and say, how are you even successful? You know, shout out to Big Vern. Everyone knows who Big Vern is. They're the biggest cynic in boxing. Like, his dissection of Joe Gallagher is a prime example. <laughs> when Gallagher steps up, he gets found wanting. Why? Because his guys cannot box. They're fit, they're strong, but they cannot box. 
Did anyone catch the Scott Quigg IFL interview? Yep. Wasn't it really interesting that he said, I'm learning I'm for the first time. every day. <laughs> like, yeah, it was quite telling that he highlighted how much he's actually boxing now under Freddie Roach and not just doing fitness routines for hours on end. And he's being taught as well. Hands up, walk forward. I mean, there's, there's well, what else do you have to do? There, Nothing. <laughs> I don't know. Scott Quigg has got the mental capacity to be taught, particularly. But, uh, but seemingly, Roach has managed to do it. <laughs> he's unlocked something. Well, he might be doing anything. Maybe just he's telling pulled, him he's boxing. He's pulled but, the crayon out of his nose. <laughs> you can think now. Yeah. So, so, so nice. I guess, I, I guess nice what I'm saying reference. is, if you have these lauded trainers like Gallagher, Caldwell, Sims, and no one who has credibility in the sport rates them no one does no one rates them and you ask yourself why it's a weird one though you in in every sort of like every um well every industry i suppose you look at football and you've got managers and you think how are you still getting work and then you look at say film directors michael bay terrible films but he still makes millions at the box office you think eventually either eventually they come crashing down just because they the, the the small skills that they have gets outdated, I don't know, or eventually things catch up with them. That's all I, you know. That's but, but but this is what happens, right? You get what I call the DeGale problem, where your teeth fall out. Horse. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you look at James DeGale. You get a bit punchy. A- anyone who tells you he's happy where he is right now is lying to you. That's the problem. He knows a lot more about boxing than the people who are training him. So he's probably there going, I don't want to do any more fitness work. It's not helping me. There's stuff I'm not doing in the ring that I need to be doing. And and so you get that tension because trainers don't evolve in this country. It's always, we, we've always done it this way. Therefore, you've got to do your running five or six times a week. Every available piece of scientific evidence tells you running is the worst thing you can do for cardiovascular capacity. The worst Full thing? effing stop. The literally yes. the worst thing? Like yes. sitting down is better? Yes. Oh. It is. No, 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 so, no. So as an example, they, they did a study and it was, it's only one data sample. So it's one set of twins and they, what, what, so one twin was, a long distance running. That's all they did. Train for long distance running. The other guy just did nothing. So they looked at muscle composition. And the guy that did nothing had more fast twitch fibers, had better quality muscle than the guy who ran all the time. Don't you get slow twitch muscle fibers for running long distance? That's the problem. You do. You get slow right. twitch. So you don't want fast, you don't want well, slow twitch no. in boxing. You want fast twitch, right? Exactly. So for boxing... For you, boxing, yeah. you want you don't want long distance running involved you in your training regime. You, you want some of it because you want to, you want that mental capacity to be on your feet for an hour or so, you know, without without gassing. But you don't want to run so much that you get to forty, your knees and your hips are shot, which a lot of boxers go through. Well, yeah, I mean that's that's always a problem. So it? so no, there's a lot of regressive behavior that happens in boxing because these guys have reputations and people fawn over them like, oh, oh my god, it's so and so, oh. And they ask their opinions. And what do they call it? They call it the the bias of authority. So let's say I train a world champion and I say, yeah, I'll train Anthony Joshua. We've just won two world titles. 
and I've fed him Nando's. Every boxer and their dog would be in Nando's the day after. Because I've said it. Can I have a special chicken with needles in it, please? Perfect. <laughs> but but no one ever interrogates what these guys actually do. No one ever says, well, maybe you just had a really good fighter with a really solid mental state. And that's it. And actually, you're a really shit coach. And no one ever asks these questions. Because you can't. Oh, mate, you know... Yeah, yeah, no, nah, no, nah, he's been doing it, man and boy, 40 years. What are you going to tell him about coaching and all that? Yeah. <laughs> you hear that all the time. Well, like, <laughs> and they're always cockney gangsters from the 1800s. <laughs> always. <laughs> always. Um, okay, you've probably noticed that Terry's uh, taking the lead on this one. That's because I think... Between us, Martin and I have about four brain cells running. I've got nothing going on. We might be sharing one, if I'm completely honest. I like again. Terry is taking up the slack tonight, so thank you very much, Terry. And I'm going to ask Martin a question now. No, but I'm I've carefully gone through all of the tweets, and I'm asking you a question that I think you might be (laughs) closed answers. Would you rather fight a hundred duck-sized Golovkins or one Golovkin-sized duck? That's the hardest question out of all of them. A hundred duck-sized Golovkins. I could kick them pretty far. <laughs> I could kick a duck. I'm not sure if you sort of kicked. You know when? Go kick a hundred. You know, like you know, if you tried to kick like a, a bolted-down metal football, thinking it was a real football, and then you just it just stays. Or kick a bowling ball or something. Bang! That's what I feel like it would be like kicking a Golovkin. But yeah, one sorry, one Golovkin-sized duck. Yeah, I think that. <laughs> Isn't that just a fucking ostrich? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure I'd fancy taking on an ostrich either. I could knock a fucking ostrich out. I'm having that. Oh, not not with that neck. It'll just (laughs) that's all it will do. It'll like David Price in Man City. (laughs) Be hanging over the rope. Am I allowed to? Oh shit! Do you remember when Caldwell was like? What, he, what did he tweet to me? He's like, what do you mean leaning over like a giraffe? (laughs) So I had to tweet him the picture. So mate, all he wanted was a kiss. (laughs) <laughs> and you just said no uh, that, uh, that question was from Paul Altai thank you very much um, Carl, Cha- <laughs> Carl Chapman and Verbal Warning both asked the same question which is what are the best boxing books you've read best one for me is uh, Making Hay by Elliot Wurzel which is about the greatest heavyweight oh, this country's me, why do I produced? pick this one no reverse that out <laughs> Uh, no, because Elliot Wurzel's dressed just... boxer in history. <laughs> Elliot Wurzel's a phenomenal writer. I need to read his new book that he's got out. Uh, but it's a really insightful look. Like Elliot Wurzel joined David Hay through a training camp and like just became mates with him quite early on in his career uh, and kind of gained Hay's trust back in the booth days. Uh, and so he was out on camp in uh, Greece, I think it North, is Northern Cyprus. Uh, Northern Cyprus, yeah. Like he just telling the story of, of what it was like being, being around, around the great one being around David Hay uh, <laughs> the living legend the best um, I've, I've read is Bitchin' Threads and that's by Terry Chapandama and that's a love story about <laughs> a man who finds another boxer who's so beautifully dressed <laughs> that he can't contain himself <laughs> uh, um, so no that's what I'd go with Terry it's always got to be Four Kings um don't even ask me who wrote it, but Four Kings is an amazing book because it captures four of the greatest boxers ever who happened to be around in the same era. And it's so beautiful in how it 
portrays the backstory. So you actually, so, you know, so the boxes are sorry, the boxes are who Marvin Hagler, Thomas Hearns, Sugar Ray Leonard, and Roberto Duran. And the backstories are so beautifully portrayed that it becomes like a soap opera, and you invest in each of the individual characters. So you have, you know, Marvin Hagler who who permanently fights against injustice because he always feels. You know, no one ever gives him the credit he deserves. You've got Sugar Ray Leonard, who was the golden boy from day one and had to live with that pressure. You've got Tommy Hearns, the the industrial you know, knockout machine, who was somewhat fragile in terms of chins and mentality. And then you've just got Roberto Duran, the man that loved to fight. No one knew how he did it, but he just did it. Right, Senor Tasty asks, can you see Eubank Jr. finishing the World Boxing Super Series? Interesting question. The spirits are telling Mystic Mick he <laughs> wins the first fight and then gets injured. I, that's not a bad shout, actually. I don't think. I mean, it would it would kind of like jeopardise the integrity of the whole competition, but it wouldn't surprise me if the Eubanks... They wouldn't give a toss it. about that, yeah. His first fight's over in Germany. Like, I can't remember where it is in Germany. Stuttgart, Hanover, something like that. Hangover, it's coming out of my head. Um, <laughs> but yeah, his first fight's over in Germany, which is an interesting one, against that Yildrim from Turkey. Um, so I don't know why it's not over in the UK. I don't get that. Um, I don't see him finishing the tournament. I'm with Mick. I know he's very spiritual, is, uh, is Mystic Mick. Send your tasty. Um, yeah, I, I don't see him and Groves fighting in the semi-final. I see in some way Groves progressing through this, winning it, and then Eubank fighting him afterwards, outside of this contract, perhaps. Yeah. It just doesn't feel like um, it's... To be honest, it's not really a big enough stage for that fight, is it, really? Eubank Groves is a huge fight. Yeah. And I can just see that... I'm not even saying the Eubanks are in the wrong for like wanting to dictate so many terms within a contract, which I've said they do, and like that's fine because it's your career. Like take ownership of it. Not enough fighters do that from the bottom to the top. I don't see how a fight that would generate as much money as that could can be handled through the contract of the World Boxing Super Series. I think that's a big ask. So yeah. I think I, I can envisage Eubank. Pulling a hamstring, maybe, um, that will keep him out for six months and then picking up the winner if Groves goes on to, to win the entire tournament. Yeah. Mo Hassan asks, how would you see Billy Joe Saunders versus Chris Eubank Jr.? A fight panning out now. Um, I think Billy Joe would take an absolute shellacking. Whether we'd find out in that instant that he has courage, fortitude, and a chin belonging to a true great. I don't know. But I can't see him keeping Eubank Jr. off anymore. I just think whatever training it is Chris Eubank's doing now, he's supremely prepared for the, the high-output 12-round fighter that he's become. It, remind, it almost reminds me a bit of like Eubank versus... Um... Billy Joe, if you look at their trajectories of careers, for me, it's a bit like looking at Cristiano Ronaldo and Rooney. At one point, they seem to be on the same sort of level. Ronaldo has worked tirelessly to make himself one of the best players in the world, and Rooney just smoked fags and got fat. <laughs> like he's still got Over that natural talent. Yeah, <laughs> he's still, and, and he's like, 
I'm as good as... He still plays for Everton. You know, he's a, he's a decent professional footballer, whatever. He hasn't um, gone above and beyond. But, like, you know, Ronaldo's gone to different levels. I'm, I'm not suggesting that the, you know, Christian Beck Jr. is on the same sort of, you know, stratosphere as, you know, relatively speaking as Ronaldo, but anyway. Um, but it's that difference between having it handed to you and having to graft for it. So if you look at Billy Joe, Billy Joe's been on the radar from, from day one. You know, he... He's one of the class of 2008. The issue is, did that all come too easily for him? Whereas with Eubank Jr., you get the sense that he's had to suffer. A, because he's had to live in the shadow of his father. B, I think that's the key point. Yeah, yeah the privilege he came from and having to prove that he can fight. I mean, yeah. and, all, and, all, and all those elements come together with Chris Eubank Jr. where he's like, I have a shitload I need to prove. Yeah, I know. I agree with you. That's the key thing for me about it's about because in the reverse scenario, you could argue that a privileged background has made him soft and it's been too easy for him. But I, I certainly, I would prescribe, uh, subscribe to the idea that he's had to live in his father's shadow. Uh, not only a, a, a fabulous boxer in his time, but also a massive character who people loved and loved to hate and still do. Yeah. So yeah, he really had to be something special, right? Verbal warning. Here we go. Thank you for your one zillion questions. Um, He's keeping us going for the close season. <laughs> I appreciate this. He's on um, holiday, right? I don't know. I think that's why that's why we've been tasked with so many questions. Um, did Tyson ever beat anyone at the height of their powers? I'm assuming this is Mike Tyson. Isn't yes. It? Um, if not, is he overrated based on a and his aggressive style but lacking substance? I, I say that is a good question because I've always wanted to know that. Really, who who was the best boxer that Tyson ever beat? And I mean, take into account prowess and timing. Probably Spinks. I would say looking at it's it's one of Michael Spinks. Uh wow. Uh, it's one of Michael Spinks, the old Larry Holmes, or, or the fact that we even raise a so hard about it yeah. tells you the answer. Like but but there's a paradox here, and that is if I judge Tyson on his C V, he doesn't qualify, which is why Tyson's not in my top five. If that's I lined up my question. top five and I said does Mike Tyson beat every one of these at his peak and their peak? I think Tyson beats Frazier. I think Tyson beats Holmes, even a prime Holmes. But then I start to, I think Tyson beats a prime Lennox Lewis. Then I'm stuck with the two where I'm like, I don't know. I don't think Tyson could take a Foreman shot. I think Foreman would have would have broken his jaw, to be honest with you. I think Foreman would have beaten him because Foreman was a very tough man himself. And I just think Ali would have found a way to tie him up. So in head-to-heads, I don't think he beats those two. Uh, I think he'd struggle against David Hay as well, if I'm being fair. Especially in a best-dressed competition. Um, he might win that one, but definitely not the boxing match. He might, he might get knocked out by <laughs> the greatest British heavyweight we've ever produced. Oh, um, but, Feel but, free but, to launch scathing attacks on that please. comment. But in looking at Tyson, like he's a boxing revolutionary. And I know people say, ah, oh, customato this. If you watch Floyd Patterson way back in the late 50s, early 60s, 
yes, that was a kind of peekaboo style. It was good, but he was never as explosive with it as Tyson was to the point where Tyson would start his attack as an orthodox hit phase two as a southpaw and you're still expecting him to be an orthodox you're like shit why am I getting hit that's why he knocks so many people out because most people are familiar with the right hook to the body straight into the right uppercut and when they do it in their own boxing gyms they do it from an orthodox stance not realizing that Tyson slightly shifted his feet so he's doing it it's a lead hand attack and you're like shit how did he do that and normally when you're trying to get away from that, you then move into his orthodox stance where he then hits you again with more lead hooks. So you almost don't escape the lead hooks and the lead uppercuts, which no one has been able to replicate since. Um, you know, you've, you've seen small squat fighters try and do variations of it. But between 85 and the end of 86, early 87, Tyson had perfected that. It was It was a lethal striking machine that he had there. And you wonder what would have happened if he'd had three more years under Cuss to really refine that. You know, would would we have seen him ascend, you know, that 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 vaunted plane of being one of the all-time greats? Um, wish he'd fought Holyfield instead of Buster Douglas, I guess, and I wish he'd had a better team around him. But no, Tyson, he'll always be a paradox. Can't really put him in the top five based on what he achieved, but can't really leave him out based on the threat he poses. I don't know what you do. <laughs> Okay, um, if Conor McGregor is... Um, Shot by ISIS in the next week, then we can all fucking... What would you rather see? Um, Conor McGregor now uh, versus Mayweather, and then the answer to who is better out of Golovkin and Canelo later, or would you rather have, in an ideal world, a Canelo-Mayweather rematch and just fuck the other two off? I completely lost the plot there. I don't know what you're on about. <laughs> if I'm honest. That doesn't, that doesn't surprise me with your brain capacity right now. Okay, so back to the question. If Conor McGregor is true when he says timing beats speed, surely his Nancy little sidestep is the easiest thing in the world to time? Yes. Yep. Did the Norator- Did Conor McGregor deliberately make his workout look bad? I knew there would be a golfing class, but he didn't even look amateur. That's not a question, I suppose. Look... Connor's a professional athlete. He is leaving no stone unturned behind closed doors. So what he does in public, ignore. It'll be what he does in the ring that matters. There'll be no clues, there are no indicators other than he's going to have to find a way to beat Floyd Mayweather. Um, my brain is feeling like he's been sat in a microwave, so I need to get through this. <laughs> You are listening to a man suffering. And you can't even see Martin's face. I have to look at Martin's face. That reminds me how awful I feel because I know how <laughs> oh, he's hey, feeling. fucking hell. <laughs> Still say it. <laughs> how is Dillian White claiming to be a relevant contender when he fights Malcolm Tan? Irrelevant fight, irrelevant name at the moment, Dillian White in the heavyweight division. Uh, Eddie needs to really pull the rabbit out of the hat for him by the end of this year and actually get him back in the ring with Chisora or get him someone that we're going to care about. I don't know what it is that's holding that up because we know how good Dillian White is now. We know like what level he's at. We've seen that he can get into a fight with Chisora. He can you know, really go into the, the depths. We saw him get stopped by Joshua. So we know now where he's at. So why are we still getting these filler fights in between? Like, Is the money not there to back Dillian White? That's what we need to be asking Eddie. It isn't though, He's is too it? busy fucking getting off on AJ, isn't he? It's... 
Probably because he knows nobody really cares. But he's like, oh yeah, shit, I've got him. And oh like, yeah, I forgot I've got Dillian White. Someone yeah. send him to America next weekend. Like, it, get him out it, of my it, fucking ear. Isn't, isn't that what Derek said? You What's got that? a choice. You you can either call yourself a goat or a spare wheel. <laughs> um, with Klitschko and Who's Tyson. Who's the donkey? <sighs> Who is the donkey? No, 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 no. Actually, no. What did he say? Dillian's not a donkey. Because the donkey is respected in his community <laughs> for being a hard worker. Oh, uh, wonderful. But it's fucking absolutely wonderful. Um, with Klitschko and Tyson Fury out of the heavyweight scene, how drastically does that hinder AJ's earning potential? Yeah, I, big. Well, absolutely, with, with both those You've fights. taken the two biggest potential opponents out of the game. Potentially, then- that could have been what? Five fights. If you if there'd have been a win and you could have had a uh, sort of trilogy. Yeah, and like now you're just scraping around trying to convince. Like Deontay Wilder's put another zero on the end of his demands right now because Deontay Wilder's not used yeah. to making huge money. Deontay Wilder's been making shitty little money for a heavyweight champion, fighting shitty opponents. So he's used to that. And so like, if Eddie wants to get him out of that zone, he's going to have to cough up an awful lot of money to bring him over now because he's the only one that anyone cares about. Surely, with like f- fights like what happened at Wembley, that bolsters Matchroom's fight purse ability. How much money did it make? I don't, I don't know. But given the the size how of it, how much did surely... Joshua make and how much did Matchroom make? Two very different things. So what? What? <sighs> so yeah, I mean, it's day... disappointing. You can't like like. But we all forget as well. Like Huey Fury's got a fight coming up with <laughs> to take on Joseph Parker the fuck's going on with that like there's an undercard that's dross is it possible that Huey Fury could come in and fill that gap but left by Tyson about him I mean I mean that like nicely because I like Huey Fury I've spoken to him various times Peter Fury really like Peter Fury but not even the boxing community cares about Huey Fury not even the boxing community is getting behind a world heavyweight title fight in Manchester like at the MEN, they've had to shut off the top tier of the MEN because no one like they did that before they put tickets on sale, and people still aren't buying tickets for the lower tiers at very reasonable yeah, but, prices. But a lot of people didn't really care about Tyson Fury, did they? No, we you before he won before uh, he beat Klitschko, he had more of a presence. Yeah, more he, of a he did. No, like if you look back to how Tyson Fury was in October before he went out and fought in November. He was very public. Huey Fury isn't very oh, yeah, public. He's true, a very yeah. private man. Um, he doesn't have that persona that Tyson had. So it's very difficult to... There's no exposure of Huey Fury. But the, so he's going to rely on basically the fight and the titles just to, to provide that exposure, no, really, isn't he? No, If you think about what he's trying to do, he's trying to do what every heavyweight does. Let's nick a belt, and then I can call out someone who can carry the event. And put a zero on So it. do not be surprised, Yeah. If there's already a contract in place with David Hay to fight end of this year, early next year for the WBO title, I am pretty sure that's been agreed. Um, Okay, crazy hypothetical, which I know you guys are going to hate, but Canelo looking razor sharp in camp. How do you think he would fare in a rematch with Floyd Mayweather? Bearing in mind he couldn't lay a glove on him in the first. At what weight though? Like you can't have it at one sixty. Floyd just can't eat his way up to one sixty. Heavyweight. They both eat relentless amounts of McDonald's until they are until they both qualify. If one qualifies before the other, the first one has to continue eating McDonald's. 
and then they fight. This is a state of my life. <laughs> like I'm set <setting> hungover <laughs> on a Sunday. <laughs> Um, on a scale of one to Eddie Hearn, um, <laughs> how much of a see you next Tuesday has Pauline Malignaggi made of himself this week? Um, um look, I, every, every time Malignaggi talks now, I just think back to that ringside interview after the Sean Porter fight, where he was literally crying. I think he might have still been in a hospital, and he was just crying. And Johnny Nelson Hatchy Hatchy stopped the interview and go, Paulie, are you okay? Are you really okay? And he was just shell-shocked and scared, it seemed. And I think that's what McGregor did. McGregor just said, listen, you're talking crap about me. You're going to have to... And he said it in advance. He said he's going to have to pay for what he said. So why is Malinaji upset? You should have shown up to put him on his ass. That's what you, that's what you were there for. Put him out, Johnny. Unfortunately, mate, no one gives a fuck about no you. No one gives a fuck. Um, I suppose the best person to ask for this would be Terry, um, but feel free to chip in. Do you think Steve Goodwin was right on last week's pod when he said Hearn will only get a flat rate on AJ pay-per-view shows? I've been saying it for years. Like, I'd be surprised if he even gets 5% of the gross take. Like, in the legal world, there are things that are known as door tenants. So you're, when you're a barrister, you're a door tenant. And what that means is you don't actually work for that chambers of barristers but they have your name as one of their associates. And what it does is it gives your organization gravitas. So I'm going to come and work with you because you've got this guy's name. And if worse came to worse, you could call on him for advice. But he doesn't really work. He doesn't have to do anything. He's happily retired, gardening, chilling. It's probably a similar arrangement where Hearn goes, if I've got Joshua on my, in my stable, I can negotiate with anyone because they will respect the fact that AJ is with us. But AJ knew, come on, man. Like, Anthony Joshua wins the gold. He's six foot six. You know, he looks the part, says all the right things. Everyone would have thrown money at him. Everyone. And it wouldn't have mattered whether he started here or in America. He would have been fine. So, Hearn had to concede on that one. He he never dictated terms in that negotiation. And you know he didn't because Okoli and Andy's just farted. So, this answer might get cut short. <laughs> I look basically look Joshua so Joshua's now God <laughs> Joshua's now got Okoli and he's got Boatsy so he's the future of Matchroom is tied to AJ more so than the future of AJ is tied to Matchroom now could AJ just say <laughs> forget Eddie Hearn give me a deal with Sky that's not Eddie Hearn related possibly but do you need to quibble over those pennies i don't know but aj can do what the hell he wants because he's in the driving seat right martin if you take the top 10 heavyweights and divide the amount no forget it (laughs) i just want to see your action as soon as i started making it complicated Uh, he looked up to the heavens he switched off completely he was it was literally formulating Fuck off, I'm not answering. In my head, I was working out what a duck-sized <laughs> Triple G would look like. <laughs> Verbal warning comes to a conclusion with his last question. Maybe it's wishful thinking, but I felt David Hay looked like he tried to rush his work hugely against Tony Bellion and was already injured. If the rematch doesn't happen, what route do you see him taking? I think he would make easy work of Parker and most of the division. 
Well, I can tell you now straight away, Terry, we would agree with you that he'd make mincemeat of practically everyone, including... At the same time. Including Godzilla and King Kong. Yeah, like chuck them all in Royal Rumble style. <laughs> yeah. There'll be one man left at the end. The only person he can't beat is the great Tony Bellew. <laughs> <laughs> Look, David Hay knew he was fucked in that fight. So, no. yeah, of course he tried to rush it. Like, if you know you're broken and you know you've, like, you've got a... You abandoned all sense of boxing and just went for it very quickly, and it didn't work. But you know, what do you expect if you know a man's broken? Um, Absolutely genius. <laughs> <laughs> I would never, genius, I would though. never call Martin that. <laughs> it is genius what he did, which is go and make loads of money. Don't really take a beating because Bellew couldn't hurt him. Do it all again if Bellew agrees to his terms. I'm sure they will do it again uh, later this year, be my guess. Because Bellew has no dance partner. From what I'm hearing, Ward is not taking the Bellew fight. So all that talk is happening. That shit. It's not happening. The but if Bellew's got any sense Bellew's whatsoever, he knows that the most money is in a Hay rematch. He he knows is it. that or Chisora? And even that, isn't, there's more money in Hay, isn't there? Because yeah. Chisora isn't Hay. And that's been his but biggest Hay's problem now, of his Hay's career. Hay's now ironically got loads of options. <laughs> What yeah. value is stuck? Yeah, well, since the Klitschko and Tyson, Klitschko retiring and Tyson Fury being a mong, yeah. is basically... If you need someone who's going to make you money now, David Hay is suddenly, yeah. out of nowhere... Being legitimised. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. Off of the canvas against Bellew is now a relevant, you know, moneymaker. Did I not, did I not predict this? No. No, I don't know. You, yeah, but, Hall of Fame career, one of the all-time great heavyweights. <laughs> I don't think anyone could have beaten them. John Ruiz can. Nah, and John Ruiz is one of the one of the great American heavyweights. He's probably one of the top ten of all time, isn't he? Nah, top twenty, but yeah, I get I get the sentiment. <laughs> okay, last quick. Thank you very much for warning. Um, your outstanding. Yeah, contribution has made this podcast a lot longer for me. And Martin both hung over and in pain. So that, mm, mm, mixed emotions, I must admit. But anyway, Mo, thank you very much. Joking aside, uh, Mo Hassan, with our last question, what chances do you give Huey Fury to beat Joseph Parker? Hi. Uh, Hi. I think he'll outbox him. I think he'll win a 12-round, fairly decisive points victory. I think, I think Parker might pop some of those acne spots on him. But that's about it. Yeah, nice. no, I can see it being um, relatively straightforward. And Bell, you pipe, you're going, I'll fight, I'll fight Huey now. Oh, there's one from Brian Kempman. How far do you think Michael Venom Page will go in boxing? Um, Area level. If Mackenzie can do it, why can't Venom Page do it? Fair enough. Uh, yeah, he's one of Hayes. He's Mas- now, masterful signing, genius. Fuck's sake! I'm sucking the man off. Genius, like visionary. He saw this before Mayweather did. Once again, Mayweather <laughs> copies David Hay. Oh well. Jesus Christ! Right, I'm ready to go and die Minced. somewhere. Now, before we go, oh, yeah. I mean, yes. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> now, just a quick one. A massive shout out to the Army boxing team. Uh, you know, James out of the army boxing team was letting me know that, you know, they listen. So big shout out to them. You know, hopefully we can get them on at some point because there are a lot of youngsters out there who are like, how can I box full time and concentrate on my boxing? 
the army is a reasonable option. Um, I'm not sure if young Ebony James boxes out the army, if she boxes out the Navy or the Air Force. But so she was a young lady. I remember we did a like a like a fun day after the Olympics in the Olympic Park. And she came up from Portsmouth with a guy called Q Shillingford. Absolutely destroys the pads. Looked a real talent at about, I think she was like 13 then. So now she's full enough, maybe 15. Now fully fledged, 19 years old in the army. I mean, having a fantastic career. Might even get to represent GB. So I think if there are young boxers out there, or you guys have guys in your gyms going, well, how can I dedicate myself to this full time? The army boxing team, and it's it's a good option. If you can't get into GB, that's another option because you know what I mean they've got guys like Natty Nguyenya who's doing really well, Chesney Hell who's doing well, um, Elena Murphy, great boxer. There's a whole range. Of, I think Connor Vian is a Vian or Vian, you know, young pro as well. So Chris he Hobbs, Southern Area champion, um, great, great talent. For Anthony Yardo, he's a he's a soldier. Yeah, that's his job. Yeah, and, and and they're very flexible. And Chris Hobbs, you know, that's a man that can do 15 rounds with the heaviest of punches. Let's just remember that when we, you know, look back at records. <laughs> very tough man, very dangerous. He is man. a very tough man, too. So, you know, look, Army Boxing Team, hopefully we'll get those guys on because I think it, it, it's just a useful avenue to explore for, for some of those guys who are really ambitious in terms of boxing but would like to dedicate themselves to it. You can practically, you can practically do any sport you go into the army and if you're good enough at it and you get yourself into the right regiment who are competitive enough you'll just I knew a footballer and all he did was play core football regimental football <laughs> I just and and even when he wasn't playing football it just tell like somebody oh yeah I'm at core football today and they'd be like all right someone with like 17 different ranks above me is taking you that way so I'm not going to argue you're like yeah I've got football training and then just sit in his room all day. <laughs> so, the more of the story the is best. kids. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sit in your room all day. What sport did you do? But What did I do? I did Tinder. swimming was mainly my, my swimming, water was polo, triathlon. Was everything in the army? I'd yeah. Imagine, uh... Yeah. STD acquisition. Um, <laughs> <laughs> STD acquisition and distribution. Sorry, sir. We've run out of penicillin. White's got knob rot again. <laughs> no, I was. it was... Traffling, I did non-contact sports, mate. <laughs> well, apart from... Uh, did you break the Ironman record? Because your name's mm, attached to it. Yeah, yeah, essentially, yeah. You're like the triathlon David Hay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just as well-dressed as well. Yeah. Right, can we go now? Because I'm dying. <laughs> well, 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 I'm I go? spent. Yeah. Let's let everyone go. Let's end this charade. Okay, thank you very, Shout very much. Shout out to Ohara Davis, newly oh, single. Same. You know, I know it's been it's a tough time. Yeah, but have you seen the new paint job? Nice. No. Matt Black. Nice. I, I did feel for him when I saw with, with a bit With a bit of sheen on it. As much nice. as he might be a bit of a penis, no one needs that doing to their car. No. But, but nice, nice, nice little paint job he did on there. Congratulations, Good. OD. You know. Um, thank you very much for listening. Get in touch with your questions. We are desperate for stuff to talk about. If you don't want us to talk about Conor McGregor and Mayweather, then send us questions that are not relating to those topics. <laughs> Otherwise, we're going to be compelled to talk about it the closer it gets. Um, at Newish Boxing UK, at The Seven Wolves, and at Newish Podfather, if you feel so inclined. Thank you very much for listening. Be good. And goodbye. Oh.
Oh, let them know it's Christmas time.